0: You're listening to High Pitch, the American Health Information Management Association podcast, produced weekly for HEMA's members and healthcare professionals everywhere. Listen in as we explore the hot topics and news items affecting the industry and you. Hello and welcome to the AHIMA High Pitch podcast. Today we have two guests, professors Pam Greenstone and Jan Kelly, authors of the soon-to-be-released AHIMA book, Management for the Health Information Professional. Pam and Jan are both associate professors and educators within the University of Cincinnati's Health Information Management Program, and we're glad to have them here. Hello, Pam and Jan. Welcome to High Pitch.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Let's start with uh, the first question. Can I ask for a brief introduction to the development and history of the book? What inspired it and brought it about?
1: Sure. Uh, This is Jan, and I had done a little bit of work for AHIMA Press in the past and really was just kind of called out of the blue uh, and asked if I would be interested in authoring a text on... Management principles for health information management professionals specifically. Um, for uh, quite a few years, I think people in education, HIM education had been um, looking for a textbook that was unique to HIM. And so I agreed that there was a need, but I also knew I could not do this by myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the first thing I did was call my fellow educator at UC, Pam, and say, uh, would you be interested in doing this? Because if you don't, I won't. So, (laughs) that's kind of how that got started.
2: Right. This is Pam. So, she called me, and I thought about it a little bit, and I know I had been teaching some of the leadership and management courses in our program. And I kept having to go to different resources, um, call on my colleagues. I still was doing some consulting here in Cincinnati and kind of get examples from there about HIM management. So I thought, great, we can write a textbook that we can use in our course and that others can really expand and utilize as well. So I was excited when she called me. Didn't quite know what I was getting into, but
1: (laughs) here we are. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Is there anyone who helped with the writing of the book you'd like to uh, mention?
1: Well, Pam and I did the writing of the book, but I do have to say when we were in discussion about whether or not we wanted to take this on, uh, we called Pat Shaw, who has written the quality assurance text for AHIMA. And, you know, Pat's a pretty straight shooter, and that's what we were looking for. She gave us, she told us the ins and outs. She let us know a little bit about what we would be in for. She gave us some tips. Um, but at the bottom line was she was pretty confident we could do it. And so I think that that was what maybe pushed us uh over the edge, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I also talked with Lori Reinhardt Thompson. She's a good friend at Ohio State, and she has written several books. And she said, oh, you can do this, and we need this text out there. So that really um, solidified my my commitment.
0: Uh, are there any particular stories you'd like to share about the research and writing of the book?
1: Probably none that can be discussed. No. <laughs> um you know, I, I think that until you take this on, the, the actual writing of a book, I had certainly developed courses, um, you know, sitting down and looking at a blank page and developing an entire course. Um, and, and I guess I thought in some way this would be similar and in no way was it similar. Um, it, it was quite the, um, it was quite the undertaking, and, and I think Pam would agree with that. We had a very good editor, a very patient editor. She understood that, uh, that this was our very first time doing something like this. And um, so it, I guess the end product speaks for itself, but it, it was quite, quite a birthing experience, I think.
2: Yes, and what I found was really interesting along doing the first edition of it was that we divided and conquered the chapters and we pretty much did our research and our writing individually. and then we sent it to the editor and she she didn't know we did it that way because we found out we write so similarly you can't you can't really tell who, is writing what, which was really great to have a colleague that you work with like that, that Mm -hmm. you're basically like clones of each other in writing style and how we conveyed the information.
0: And what's the name of the editor?
2: Megan Megan. Gannon.
0: Now, the new edition has a brand new chapter on budgeting as a function of HIM. How does the new chapter fit into the book and why did you add it?
1: Well, we wrote it because we were asked to add it. Um, In the very beginning with the first edition, we worked with a survey that AHIMA Press had done, and what content educators were really looking for. Um, in initially, the intent of the book was to be focused toward four-year programs and most of those four-year programs have a separate finance course and true budgeting is a part of management but In most programs, it's part of the finance course. Over time, I think we realized that the book was being used by uh, associate degree programs as well, and there was a real need for uh, budgeting information as part of the planning and controlling functions of management. So for the second edition, we added a budget chapter.
0: So can you elaborate on the role budgeting skills play in the HIM ecosystem?
1: Yes.
2: I think in today's healthcare environment with reimbursement being so tight and managed care that all levels of HIM people need to be aware of budget constraints. They need to be fiscally responsible. They need to be productive in their jobs. And really introducing budgets to them will really give them just basic concepts of that. They probably, an entry-level HIM person or coder is not going to do a budget, but I guess just understanding the role that it plays in the department or their area is important.
0: I spoke with the production editor of the book, Colton Jiggo, and he tells me it presents several different angles on how the landscape of HIM is changing with the times. First question is the aging workforce. In the leadership chapter, you discuss BLS data that shows older workers making up an increasingly large share of the workforce. With that share projected to continue increasing through 2026, does this data reflect your own experiences in HIM? Is this something healthcare organizations need to actively plan for and strategize around?
1: Well, I think, especially in education, we are seeing an aging workforce. For quite some time, I think AHIMA or or, HIM professionals have been concerned about the lack of younger people wanting to move into education. So we see that almost every day um, just in the education section of AHIMA and the lack of educators, the need for educators to be coming into uh, this particular area. Also, we see that in our own program. The average student age in our program, which is a a bachelor's program, is 40 years old. So, you know, quite a few of our students come to us as second professions, and they have a wealth of experience gained maybe as a real estate agent or as a marketing manager Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason they have found health information management and this has become their second career. Um, I think that's something that most healthcare uh, professions are starting to notice is that, that we are getting more of an aging workforce, we need to succession plan for replacements, and we need to transfer the knowledge from the you know more senior members of the workforce to the younger members of the workforce. I would add, just replacing experienced
2: workers is a challenge for healthcare organizations, because then you hire those maybe, not, in our case, maybe not so much younger, but the but have much less experience. Uh, HIM departments and healthcare organizations need to develop training programs so that these individuals can enter the workforce, bring their new knowledge. And then, and then get trained on, on what happens within that organization.
0: Now, uh, the next question regarding technology. All new to this book is a discussion about how job candidates' digital footprints can be used as a screening tool during the interviewing process. What extra measures should candidates take to prepare for the scrutiny? Do you have the sense that this will disproportionately affect younger candidates?
1: As far as candidates being aware of their digital footprint, um, I know just from having kids of my own, they're told from really junior high and probably now even fifth and sixth grade on to be aware of what they're putting out there, Um, you know, in regards to Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. um, I know I talk about it with my own kids. The younger generation is going to be more affected by this um, as you know most people, my age, which is over fifty, are pretty much peed into Facebook and and not a whole lot else. But organizations are beginning to check. Um, I think the statistics show that well over 70% of organizations do ch- some form of checking the digital footprint. They they check your social media. Um, and students need to be aware that this is happening. Just personally, my daughter, when she went to apply for a job, she was told up front in her first interview that they had already checked her digital footprint mm-hmm. to see what was out there. And she was actually quite surprised. Um, now, it wasn't a problem for her, but there can be a problem if people aren't aware of what's going on in the background. They Organizations will check without asking for permission. They don't have to ask for your permission. Um, in order to check your digital footprint. So you need to be very careful about what you put out there. i I don't really have
2: anything else to add. I do think younger individuals don't really think about what's happening when they're having fun in high school and even early college before they've settled on a degree. But all of those things are building your per, your own portfolio. So you need to be cognizant of that.
1: Just to add also from an organization standpoint, I think you also need to understand that the organization, if they are going to go out and view social media, they need to make sure that across the board, they're checking all candidates and not just certain candidates and that they... They need to be careful that information that they're picking up from social media, such as potential age or religion or race, is not entering into the hiring, you know, into the hiring practice. It's recommended that someone outside the hiring process be the person that checks the social media so that they don't have that maybe bias. Uh, when they're reviewing it. So there are also things that an organization needs to do to be responsible in checking social media.
0: Uh, My next question, uh, many authors use real world examples to illustrate the concepts they write about in their books. As the HIM landscape changes, how do you keep up as authors?
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that is beneficial to us being educators um, because through our students we're kept fairly current. We employ discussion board use in our courses and students are always sharing their real life experiences. Um, In our program, 80% of our students work in the HIM field, so they bring with them a wealth of experience at both the manager and supervisor and entry-level positions. Certainly, uh, we network, and also we have an advisory board for our program that we rely on their expertise and experience as well. I agree with
2: that. One thing that was very helpful to me when we were writing the first edition is that I was still doing some consulting in an HIM department. So many of the case studies are based off things that I saw happening in the real world. I'm thinking as in the next edition, I may actually do some interviews of HIM professionals out there just to get a good feel And our HIM advisory board is very helpful because they tell us what's happening. And so we also have quite a few adjunct faculty in our program, and they are working in the field, and they keep us abreast of what's going on.
0: Individually, is there one chapter you particularly enjoyed writing and updating?
1: Well, I'm not sure if I particularly enjoyed it, but for me, the most interesting chapter to work on was the recruitment, selection and retention chapter. And the reason being, I have been in management before I went into education and I was in management for many years (laughs) and I always felt this was an area of weakness for me personally as a manager. I was never confident that I was asking the right interview questions. I I mean, I knew I wasn't asking anything that I shouldn't be asking, but I was never quite confident that this was that that I was the best interviewer Um, and so this was a really good chapter I learned a lot in writing this chapter and in doing the research for this chapter and um, I almost wish I had an opportunity to to go out and use this information (laughs) again because I always felt that was an area that I wasn't quite as strong in as some other areas of management.
2: I think the change management chapter for me both times was the one I liked the most because I think change management is such a key component to managing people. And in the in, in the environment that we're working in right now, change is constant. So learning how to move and change and give good models and what people are experiencing through change, that that was really, I really enjoyed that chapter.
0: Finally, I always like to close by asking my guests if there's anything I didn't ask that they wish I had asked.
2: I don't think a question, but I really hope that this textbook has helped fill the gap for programs and that they're using it particularly with, with their management students so they can build good fundamental skills Often you get hired into healthcare, and you're the if you're the manager. It's like you gotta go, you gotta do it, but you're not given a resource to help you. So I, I'm hoping this helps new managers, new people in the profession, and the educational programs as well.
1: Maybe to piggyback on what Pam said a lot of times in healthcare, it's the the good coder that's promoted to a lead coder because they're a good coder. And the skills that make you a good coder are not always the same skills that will make you a good supervisor or, or assistant or director. And so even for people who are currently in the field this could be a a resource for them if they're looking to make that move to the next level of management.
0: Once again, our guests were Professor Pam Greenstone and Professor Jan Kelly, authors of the soon-to-be-released AHEMA book, Management for the Health Information Professional. The book is available for pre-order on the Hema website at hemastore.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Jan. This was a good experience.
0: You've been listening to High Pitch, the Hema Podcast, produced by the American Health Information Management Association. Please subscribe or visit us at hema.org/pod for updates on future shows. Thank you for listening.